You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen, amen. You're on your way to see uh, Michael. And so this is good to be here with family. Let's get into the word of the Lord tonight. And uh, you can pray before I preach or teach tonight. You can pray that I don't teach too long, but... I'm going to teach as long as I need to, so amen. Uh, How many are enjoying this series here? We're in a series. I think this will now make six weeks that we have in our origin series, and I do feel uh, that in the forecast, we will take a a pause in the series. We won't uh, delete the series, kill the series, cancel the series. We'll just take a pause Uh, perhaps in the month of July. And I love the spirit of worship that we had here tonight and felt here tonight. And uh, so we'll we'll take a little pause for the month of July once we get there, and then we'll resume this series, pick it back up on the month of August. We spent the first five weeks talking about creation uh, specifically, and tonight we're going to jump into a new topic. And I want the Lord to be with us. I want God's spirit to be with us. I know he's already here, but I want God to anoint, amen, our ears to the hearing of the word and pray for me as well tonight. Would you lift your voice right now here at the beginning tonight? Let's just pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for another tremendous moment that we have together in your spirit before your word. And I ask that tonight you would anoint our ears and anoint our minds, God, that we could receive what you have given us, what your will is, what your purpose is. I pray that you would touch us individually and I pray that you would touch us corporately and let the word of truth be in our life tonight. And we ask this in your mighty name, in Jesus' name. And somebody said, amen. 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 We're going to look at this next topic I'll call the Genesis of Humanity. And what we're going to do is specifically look at the origin of humankind. Then we'll look at the nature of humankind. And then we will look at some of the other things that that are implied in the text that go along with this. So this is going to be Uh, a look at us as humanity. What does the Bible teach us, the first mentions of humanity and the origins of that? So tonight in those three topics, the first thing we'll dive into is the origin of humankind. And we're going to go to several scriptures. I want to read these scriptures first before we get into our outline tonight. So go with me to Genesis chapter number one. And we'll look at Genesis chapter number 1, verses 26 through 28. Then we'll skip on down to chapter 2 and highlight that. So Genesis chapter number 1 in verse number 26 begins, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his 
own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. This is the first mention of humanity, what God willed, what God said, and then what God did. And then not only what he did, but also included in this are the first two commandments that he gives to humanity, the first two things he challenges them with. There are some things when you read this, there are some questions that come up. Namely, first in verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Who was the us that God was talking about? We'll get to that. What did he mean when he said in the first commandment, be fruitful and multiply and replenish? What does he mean by that word replenish and subdue it and have dominion over it? This is the first mention. After chapter 1 spells out the seven days of creation, then we go to chapter number 2. And in chapter number 2, he summarizes what he has just said in verse number four, it says, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens. And he goes through and talks about how the earth was at that time and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the, God, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground that, that doesn't mean in the Old English, that doesn't mean that there was not a man that exists. What it means is that there was no one needing to work, to till, to cultivate the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. There went up from the earth a mist. So something definitely unique taking place in this um, uh what do we call it? Is it the antediluvian period, uh, pre maybe pre-diluvian period, where this mist is coming up and self-watering the earth? That's something that doesn't happen today. That definitely is not happening right now in my yard. Uh, wouldn't that be great if there was just a natural irrigation system? And that is what the text implies. There was something that was uh, unique about the world situation. Of course, that changes after the fall of man. That changes then again with the flood of Noah. And verse 7 now is the second reference specifically to humanity. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils or, or, or face, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there's a lot that's implied there. God did not just create some kind of a robotic thing, but there was a living soul now 
that is there. He forms and he breathes. And then we go down from verse 7, skip down, if you will, to verse number 21. And now he's sort of going back after he's already described. So he's put the first summary on there. Now he's going and giving us another summary here and a little bit more detail of how things play out. And verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, look at what it says, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then he goes on, therefore shall a man. Now, remember Moses is putting all of this together. He spends all this time on Mount Sinai. God gives him all of this revelation, and Moses is putting all this together. And so sometimes we're reading this text. This text was not written at the moment that God did this. It was later, and it's, it's speaking to what happened in the past, and then it's speaking in the context to there today, the today of the readers, which would have been the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Therefore shall a man leave his mother and father and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were, now he's going back to the description, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So what actually took place, we can say, definitely has powerful implications upon who we are, what we are, how we think and what we do today. We even so that see that illustrated in the text. When Moses says, therefore shall a man now, I'm adding that word now, leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. The reason for this is because of that. So it's very important that we look at this. I, I, I said that there are summaries that follow after and without getting into too much technicality, one reason why we can assume, uh, I don't like that word assume, one reason why we can know that Genesis 2, 21 through 23, where we see God now speaking in detail uh, about how he has created a woman is because in chapter 1, on day 6, he says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And so on day 6, he's creating male and female, and then later on in chapter 2, he's telling us the actual details of how that played out in chapter 2, verse 7 with man, and then as well in chapter 2, 21 through 22 with woman, Adam 
and Eve. Now, whatever you believe, as we've already talked about, whatever you believe the day was, we can say that the text is definitely established that this is taking place on day six. And so we'll read into that a little bit when we go back uh, to some other things. We had an incredible time together a few Sundays ago when our missionary from Israel was here and uh, we sat down, Brother uh, Killian, you were there, and uh, uh, Sister Larissa, some of us, Brother Zarita, some of the others, and uh, we talked about some of this very passage. So maybe I'll share some of that with you next week or the week thereafter. We'll see how long it takes us to get through that. So tonight, these are the main verses. These are the main scriptures that we would look at that establish some things. There are passages, and we'll reference them in the New Testament later on, that will reflect back to this portion. But this is Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 that really establishes who we are. Now, we know a little bit more about who we are as male and female, even in chapter number 3, and specifically with regard to the change in uh, description of roles and responsibility, male and female, after the fall of man. And, and there's some very specific things that the text speaks to there. So we're going to look at this today, and the first thing we're going to look at is the origin of humanity, the origin of humankind, if you will, the origin of humankind. And I think I have four points that we're going to try to get through, uh, maybe three. Maybe four. The origin of humankind. The first point that I would like to make is this. First, we want to look at is created by God. We are created by God. So in the origin of humankind, the first thing that we can point to is that we are created by God. Now, we've already established that. We, we, we talked about that at length in the last five weeks, but let me just talk about this again a little bit more. Looking at the text, we're created by God. When we go to Genesis chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We were created by God. We do not ascribe to the theistic evolution process because we do not believe the text does not allow for our thought process that man started out as a bacteria. That is what evolution would say. You were a bacteria, we were a bacteria, and that bacteria evolved over the process of millions and millions and millions and millions of years to become humankind. The text says the Lord God formed, created. That, that word used is implied of an artist that would carefully construct something, be involved with something, to craft something. And once he then crafted that, he then breathed into, I like what the KJV says because it gives you no cause for escape, his nostrils or his face, that when he created 
man, there was a face. It was not a bacteria. It was not some kind of a, 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 a little, uh, a, I, don't, I don't know, the pre-life of a tadpole. It was a face, and he breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. So God formed man, and then God himself breathed life into man. Now, we'll talk later on about the nature of humanity when human dignity and human sanctity, which talks about being created in the image of God and, and how man was created, the Bible says, a little lower than the angel, but was God's capstone, if you will, of creation, was higher to be take dominion, was higher than any other living creature on the face of of this earth. So God formed and God breathed in. He created. There's no other way around that. God created. Now, what did God create? He created man. And then what did he do with man? He made man fall asleep. Right? And 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 humanity did not evolve into male and female. Uh, uh, it, it's not possible. Evolution is not uh, observed. There, there are there were uh, millions and millions of years of failure. Suppose all of a sudden it worked, and then fine tune male and female. The text literally says God used Adam. This is a process. God is revealing something. He doesn't make accidents. He didn't create Adam, create all the other beasts of the earth and everything else and see that everything else has a pair. And then Adam's over here by himself and God says, oops. Oops, I missed something. Oops, I messed up something. No, God is more involved in the creation of humanity than he is in plants or animals. Dog, male, female. Horse, male, female. Elephant, male, female. But with man, he's teaching him something. There's a relationship there. He's showing him something. He's, he's setting him up to understand who he is and who he is not. And so there's man, and man looks around, and, well, everything else has a pair, but I don't have a pair. It's just me. And so God causes him to fall asleep. And then out of Adam, not out of the dust of the ground. So there was not one evolutionary process for man, and another parallel evolutionary process for woman. That is not what the text says. Out of Adam, God took from his side. The KJV talks about the rib, or literally means the, the, the side, his flesh. He said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God took from the vital part of his existence and he did not start over. He did not recreate something new and breathe separate. This is same. And he takes out of Adam 
And then look at what it says. And closed up the flesh instead thereof. This is the first surgery for all you medical people. This is the first surgery, the first surgical removal, and also the first mention of healing in all of Scripture. Now, this is something interesting. We, 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 what, I, I don't even have this in my outline. We, we may need to revisit this again. I, I don't even know about all this. But, but I thought that healing was only required because of pain and hurt that came from sin. But here... We have healing. We do not read anywhere or see any implication that there is pain, but we do see healing that predates sin because it's God's purpose. God's teaching him something here. There's something going on. We may not understand all of that, but God is involving Adam in a process here. Adam's surrendered, he's, he's asleep, God takes woman, and now he brings woman, he brings her to him. And Adam then calls her woman, he says, bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. God did not, now here's the powerful thing about the understanding of gender. God did not create Adam to just be absolutely complete in his relationship with God alone. He created Adam so that Adam would know that he would be complete through God with the counterpart that God would provide for him. God never intended for it just to be man. And so male and female together, there is something powerful about that. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So we're talking about created by God. Go to Mark chapter 10 and verse number 6. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 6. We are reading this. We could also find the counterpart equally in, I think, the Gospel of Matthew and maybe elsewhere. But he, Jesus says here, quoting, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God did not make them bacteriae, is that even a word? God did not make them something evolving. God made them from the beginning, male and female. Powerful, powerful. 
So this is what God intended for us as humanity. Now, this impacts how we understand, let's say, where we came from and who we are and who we are not. We are created by God, and God established some things. Let's go to point number two. So point number one, we're created by God. Point number two, we are created with gender distinction, male and female. We are created with gender distinction. That is absolute in every mention. Jesus said it. From the beginning, God created them male and female. Genesis 1 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we were created with gender distinction. Your gender distinction is not just an evolutionary process. If you were create if if you are just the product of a cosmic accident, go with me for a moment here. If you're just the product of a cosmic accident and you evolved to be male or female, what does it matter? You're just this rogue bacteria that's charting its own course. In space, what does it matter if you are not male or female or whatever you want to say you are today? What's the point? Uh, Who cares? And that's where our world is today. When we take away the the simple reality that God is our creator, that he authored us, that he alone programmed the beginning, the beginnings of our DNA, that he set in process this creation world that just keeps going on in the cycle of reproducing, that God established that. When you take that away, what purpose is there? What moral, there's no moral authority. And if you take away the moral authority, what purpose is there? And if there's no purpose, then why does it matter? So you can see how the world gets to a place where they say it doesn't matter. But God is our creator. And he did create male and female. And it had revelatory insight. It had purpose. It was teaching us something. Adam couldn't go rogue on God and say, God, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you're not going to get very far, Adam, because you need an Eve to build a kingdom. Hello? So the whole world lieth in wickedness. It's destined to destruction. Because what are we doing? What are we seeing happen today? The world going rogue, saying, I don't need. Nobody going to help me preach tonight, but it's about ready to get real interesting. (laughs) I don't need a man in my life. 
I don't need a woman in my life. Actually, had it not been for a man and a woman, you would not be here. It's like the turtle on the fence post. Somebody say, how did he get there? Well, he didn't get there by himself. But we live in an absurd world where the turtle on the fence post tells everybody else that they're better than everybody else and they don't need anybody else. So, now, the world is trying to reconcile the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the confusion and the mess that they're in. And when they do that, from the process that they're a cosmic accident, you take away the purpose, you take, you take away the moral authority, you take away the purpose, what matters, who cares, and you can see why our world is where it's at. But God has intent and purpose and revelation You are a whole being. You're a whole being physically, mentally, sexually. God creates us. And then God gives us commands, gives us parameters, and we have to navigate that. You can't make that without God. You can't make it without God. And you have to have understanding. And you have to deal with one another. Nothing, nothing in life hurts you more than being hurt by someone else. And a lot of the world saying, I don't need a man in my life, or I don't need a woman in my life, or I don't need you telling me what I want to be. I'm going to be what I want to be. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be something I don't even want you to know what I am going to be. We're so confused now. that it's alphabet soup to describe who you are. We've gotten through the alphabet, and we're now at symbols. I mean, it's it's absurd. The, The amount, where's that coming from? That's coming from a world in hurt, trying to reconcile their hurt, trying to justify, trying to find relief without acknowledging that God is our creator. And he created, and it was good. It was very good when he created. It's sin that made it not good. When you take away the creator, you remove the moral authority, you remove your purpose. So God creates with gender distinction, male and female. There are biological roles that God gives to us. I don't think I need to go into that because everyone in this room is either a male or a female. Males were built physically to father. Females, this is, this is, this is real deep science. Females were 
built by God, if you don't like the word built, formed, created, to mother the physical physique of a man has a brute force in situational circumstances that a female does not have. Note, I did not say that men are stronger than women because I am a wise man. The reality is is there is an equality in strength because the strength manifests itself in different ways. And one was not whole without the other. That is not a slant to any single individual. But they did not become one flesh until there was male and female. And when there was male and female, then God says they are one flesh. And the fruit of that, the product of that is manifest in the one flesh that they would produce. So there were physical abilities, advantages to the male that were not given to the female, and there are physical advantages and strengths, abilities, let's say, given to the female that are not given to the man. The man was built to father the female was designed by God for the gestation, the carrying, and the giving of birth, and then the nurturing of those children. The father could be distant after birth for a period of time, but the child required what the mother could provide physically. God designed it that way. And so we see the biological roles between male and female. We go on, and beyond the gender roles, there were gender responsibilities. There was distinction and responsibility. We probably will not be able to exhaust all of this, but note that the text emphasizes more than once the order in which they were created, male and female, male was first and then female. We see this alluded to multiple times in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. If we go there real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let me find this in verse 
Number three, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now that passage of Scripture has been abused many times over, unfortunately, within the church. But there is an establishing here of an order of, we use the word often, authority. We should understand it as an order of responsibility. When sin took place, did God not know that Eve ate of the fruit? Why did he go to Adam first? Was God on an investigation? Did God need to discover the facts? No. But he went to Adam first. Hey, you were there when I created Eve. You, if anybody knows, you know. And God went to Adam. It was an order of responsibility. We see that in verse number 8. He also says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. What is he alluding to? He's alluding to Genesis Chapter 1, chapter 2, where it talks about the different created order of responsibility. That there was to be order in the home. There was even, let's say he said to be an order in the church. Let me speak to the church. We don't talk about this enough. Praise God. For every person, we are equal in Christ, male and female, both created in the image of God. But as men, we can't let the ladies do all the praying. As men, we can't just let all the ladies do all the worshiping. I know we, we like to do the manly things. I'll stand at the door and watch things. You know, you know us men, we, we like to be on guard. That's in our nature. But God says, now does that mean that we, we come up here and we count and we measure and we say, okay, uh, let's see how many men are sitting on the front row, how many men are in the altar call, how many men are... No, we're not counting that. Whose responsibility is it when there's no prayer in the home? Well, it's if you have children... It's the parent's responsibility. If you have a marriage, it's it's both of our responsibility, but if there's going to be a set parameter in the home, God's looking at, he's going to come and knock on your door first. Men? Did God make a mistake? I mean, didn't he not know that Eve was the one that ate of the fruit? Let's go, let's go deal with Eve first. He didn't. He goes to Adam. 
to make a point about this. There's, there's a responsibility that is there. Beyond this, we see a responsibility after the fall. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 3, and let's look at this. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 15, after he curses the serpent, in verse 15, speaking, he says, And I will put enmity between thee, he's talking to the serpent, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What is he talking about? Does anybody know right there what he's saying? This is not in, in the lesson tonight, but this is the very first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before they leave the garden, before he banishes them from the garden, God himself preaches the gospel message. And he's speaking here of Messiah. And what does he say of Messiah? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What does that mean? You're going to get his heel. There's going to be, there's going to be some pain inflicted. There's going to be some suffering. But your head's going to be crushed. Was Messiah bruised? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. But he will put all things under his feet. The first mention of the gospel message. And here, he's speaking to the serpent. And he calls Messiah her seed. Because you don't get to the revelation of God, the Messiah, the Savior, without there being a male and a female. Why is the enemy attacking gender so strong in our culture? It is a demonic attack. Because without gender distinction, you don't get a Messiah. Without gender distinction, you don't get a victor. And every male and female that is born is another witness to hell that God is working out his plan. He goes on in this fall and he says to her, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall 
rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. In verse 19, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so now... God has informed them of the process of death, the decay in their life that enters in because of sin. But before we get to that, we see the responsibilities of childbearing and we see the responsibilities of provision, of work, of labor. One's life was not to be harder than the other. They were equally hard. So today, we want to come to church and feel the Holy Ghost and have God take all of our problems away. But the problems don't go away because we are living out what took place then until that great resurrection. And so we are in sorrow, working in sorrow, building our family, growing our family. There is sorrow that is attached to that, but there is a distinction of responsibilities. For the male, he says, you will work by the sweat of your brow or of your face. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turn every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God established man as the provider. You will till the ground from whence you came. For your sake, the ground is cursed. And what happens here is Adam goes from being a gatherer He's living in a garden where he has unlimited access to all the provisions. It's like a beautiful Walmart that you didn't have to pay for. Much better than Walmart. Much better. I was aiming too low. The Garden of Eden, it, it, we use that word garden and we think of our garden. It's not in the garden concept that you would think. It's like this massively glorious oasis. Like, I don't know, what's, I'm trying to think, my, like, I don't know what I'm trying to think of. 
the the fairy tale story, children's story, was like all kinds of crazy stuff and like bubblegum trees and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if they have bubblegum trees, but like the Garden of Eden, I'm just saying like it's bigger than what you could have ever imagined, like more incredible. And it was unique and distinct from the rest of the world. And from this, God sends him out. No longer are you a gatherer. You now are a provider. So we sent out of the garden a place of constant access to provision. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 8, I don't know if you saw this here in the, in the notes. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and 8, he's talking about man, uh, men in the church. He's dealing with issues in the church and just addressing different things. And he highlights here for men, he says, but if any provide not for his own and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Am I in the book? He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. But he goes to church faithful. He knows the word. He's got the Holy Ghost. How do you deny the faith by not providing for your own? Because he rejects Genesis chapter... Mind the book? Chapter 3? Right here. Wow. So let me ask you this on the, on the basis of that. Does it matter what we think about Genesis 1 through 11? Because if you don't, God says you've denied the faith and are worse. Paul says you're worse than an infidel. For the female, her role, her responsibility uh, here is seen in this where it says that there is pain in child labor. There will be sorrow, sorrow in Childbirth. By, by nature, he created her, and, and we'll, we'll stop here. He created her and said, uh, made it designed so that the child must stay close. The child must stay close to the mother. There is, uh, the, the father can, can, can go out for days at a time and weeks at a time and work the ground and all that stuff, but, and the baby survived, but the baby cannot survive. The child cannot survive without the mother. There is that nurturing there. And from that, we see it unfold throughout Scripture that the wife, the mother, had the prominent role in the home. She was the maker of the home. She was, and you go to Proverbs 31, and you read about, my goodness, you read Proverbs 31, all the all the amazing things that she did. I get tired just reading chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. And uh, guys, if you think it's easy, just have your wife go on vacation for a week and leave you with the children. I don't know what people, I have a few friends that have five, six. I don't know what they were thinking. 
I don't think their wife ever went on vacation until child number five. And that's, I think, where they said, okay. How, do, how does she do it? It's amazing. There is seen the, the, the mother became the prominent, prominent uh, role in the home because oftentimes in the Old Testament, the men were out working, shepherding things that were very, so, so they weren't there. In fact, here's an interesting thing that we don't always know. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs exalts, in, it's written in the context of a day that would have been uh, 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 civilizations and societies that would have uh, been male-oriented, let's say. And in the middle of that, God's holy word writes about the prominence of the woman, of the mother, and talks about her. It gives her uh, the regard as being the teacher it tells the young man in Proverbs, listen to the instruction of your mother. That, by the way, was revolutionary. If you go back to the context of the day of which that was written. When we say homemaker today, people have some kind of a male egotistical kind of model of that, that there's this wife that just is at your beck and call doing... No, the mother was the maker of the home. These were... You read Proverbs 31. These were complicated. These were layered, involved. There was business. There was industry. There was trade. There were things that were taking place in the home. And God designed that she would be the nurturer. She was the maker of the home. All right. So we will stop there. The next point I want to talk about is how God, well, we, we're, we're still, are we still on point two? Good. Okay. Are there only three points? Okay, there's only three points. So the, the next point I'm going to talk about is still under point two, so we'll come back. But we're going to talk about gender interdependence and relationship. We've already referenced it a little bit. But I'll leave you with this. God made male and female absolutely distinct, but completely interdependent or completely dependent upon the other. Now, does that mean that you can live that you can't live single? No, absolutely. Uh, on the contrary, in fact, uh, one one of my favorite marriage books is written by a man who pastors in a Presbyterian church in Manhattan. Seventy percent of his congregation, seventy percent of his congregation, is either singled, single, widowed, divorced. 70%, only 30% of his congregation in Manhattan is married. And he started teaching on marriage and the importance of it and understanding the purpose and the roles of male and female. And too often when we talk about marriage and we teach on marriage, we can compartmentalize and separate 
and isolate and only talk to the married people. And in fact, our singleness, if you will, is only understood in the context of God's purpose for marriage. And that plays out in the New Testament church when the apostle is talking to men and women in the body of Christ. Understanding who you are. Remember, God revealed to Adam who he was by involving him in the creative process. And so he took time to uh, play that out. So we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll end here and we'll come back and we'll talk about marriage as the first human institution that God ever established. Stand together with me tonight. Amen. Don't you love the Word of God? Amen. Amen. I'm learning new things about the Word of God. Are you learning new things about the Word of God? I hope you love the Word of God. Amen. Get into the Word of God. Love the Word of God with all of your heart. There's nothing greater than the Word of God. And uh, we don't have time to cover everything and exhaust everything here. But you can get into the Word and study it for yourself. And I hope this is helping you. Just giving you some launching points, some touchstones, places to go back and refer to because it definitely matters. God God cares what we think, first of all, about Genesis, this origin stuff, because he, he holds it close to regarding it with faith. And then we see it played out there that because of that, this provides path forward for us now in relationships with men and women. If you're going to have relationships in the church, and we do, relationships, men and women. We are, in fact, we use the terminology brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do we call one another brothers and sisters? Why does the church use that terminology? Because there's a reference. We're putting someone in a certain position. We are acknowledging the creative order of their gender that God established, and yet we are putting a right relationship you're my brother or you're my sister. You are not, uh, you are not, um, how would I say this? When, this? This deals with sexuality and we're automatically putting parameters around people. When you come into the house of God, amen. Men should not be worried about what the women in the church are thinking or the way they're treating them appropriately, inappropriately, and vice versa. Women should not have to come to church and worry about that. No, you're a brother and a sister in the Lord. It gives context. It gives establishment for us to go forward. So we have to understand these things. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be in your house tonight. Thank you for everyone that joined in person and online. I pray more than anything, God, that your word would be in our heart, in our mind, in our life. And I pray that you would put a special blessing upon all those, God, that are walking in obedience in your word tonight. Keep us, God. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And in Jesus' name, we give you all the glory and all the praise tonight. In the name of the Lord.